you've got a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Psalms 35. Psalms 35. Someone tell me, why are we at Psalms 35 this week? That's right, because we were at Psalms 34 last week. So the Lord sets the trajectory of, of the messages and appreciate Pastor Mike as he sets the table for us every week as we gather together and sing. And he's setting the table, so to speak, for God's word every week as you sing together. He has done it well and he's even reminded me this morning before we fly down here into a rather difficult psalm. Let us not forget the big picture of the whole book. What David is making sure that we understand is that the God of heaven, Yahweh, has entered into a covenant with his people. And he has made a Davidic covenant with David to bring in the eternal king. And that plan will not fail. That's the big picture. Every psalm is helping us understand that. And so now we're going to fly in because, see, all of that is true. and We understand we're part of the new covenant. God keeps His own, and praise the Lord, He does. But here we are right in the middle of a hard situation. And the life of David is no different. And so you can make yourself comfortable. We're going to let this psalm sort of unfold this morning. I do want to encourage you, as I encouraged you last week, we've got a few of these in. This is called a journaling Bible. It's got every other page is blank. This will really help you is take notes and have those notes along with God's Word and even take them into your growth group with you. So just would encourage you to that. Crossway puts these out. We've got a few and we'll get more. So look with me in Psalm 35. Let's understand the context because we've Landed in here this morning, I pray with all this rain that your, your roof is dry and your septic tanks are not backed up, right? Because if you had either one of those problems, you would have one right now. And, uh, but let's focus on God's Word now. Despite what all has happened in our life this week, let's understand this context in the life of David. Look with me in verse 19. It sort of helps us understand the context. There's a prayer. Let not those who rejoice... Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. And let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me and they say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. And so the context of this particular situation is false charges, false witnesses in a particular situation in David's life. This genre is important. When we read this, this is a prayer. It's an individual lament that's been put to song. It's called an imprecatory psalm. In other words, this is a psalm which the writer of the psalm asks God to judge, to bring judgment on his enemies. So when we get to these, and there's a few of them, and we'll get to others, is, is this when we read this psalm, when we read it and, and we'll look at it, David's calling on judgment for those, his enemies that are trying to kill him, is that at odds with the New Testament? It's a good question. Turn with me to Romans 12. Romans 12. 
want us to see this. Brothers and sisters, oftentimes we struggle with some of the places in God's Word because we know not God's character. So let's, let's look at Romans 12. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now listen, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends to you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the what? The wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Quote, God would be less glorious, less great, less good, less than God if he allowed evil to continue without destroying the wicked. So this is important to understand. This about our God. David's not asking to take vengeance into his own hands. He's praying for the Lord to act to vindicate and deliver him. In regards to a particular situation that's going on in his life right then. So what can we learn today as we flip back to Psalm 35. About our divine warrior. Been singing about him already. And about how David responds in times of injustice. And I hope the main thing we see is that the servant of the Lord. Looks to the divine warrior for vindication and deliverance. He looks to him. We look to our divine warrior when. We are treating it in an unjust way. Especially, especially, and this is going to try to keep the context this morning, for the cause of Christ. So David first pleads his cause to the Lord. And he considers his Lord. This is important because you've got to ask yourself, do you consider that Lord this? His divine warrior. Do you consider this morning Jesus your divine warrior? So David calls out, look at verses 1 to 3, starting with verse 1. It says, Contend, O Lord, for those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. So David is introducing here, he's going to expand on it, two images. One of, of, is as a lawyer or as a, of, a, of a court. He's in, the, he's in a court. And the other is a battlefield. He's going to expand more. The best image, the most clear image is that of a battlefield. But the word contend here is attorney language. He's saying as the attorney, as his advocate, plea his cause for me. But the greatest image, the one that David resounds most in David's heart in this is that of a battlefield. Is that he has enemies and they are warring against him and they have an agenda. Notice what he wants. He wants both defensive and offensive protection. Look at verse 2 and 3. It says, Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Verse 3, Draw the spear and the javelin against my pursuers. Shield, small shield. Buckler, that's, a, that's the total head-to-toe shield. Both when the enemy's close, both when he's far away. I need you to defend me. Psalms 3.3, Psalms 3.3 
says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. But he also wants offense protection. You see, the javelin in the hand of a warrior was deadly because he could throw that javelin and, and thrust it into the enemy. That's what he's saying here. Draw the spear and the javelin. He's asking for offensive protection. For David, a man who knew a little something about war, <laughs> it was Yahweh that was his champion, his advocate. And what he needs in his midst of this situation is the end of verse 3. He needs assurance. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. I, I, I know you're my salvation. I, say to my soul, or my, I, I need to be reminded, I'm your salvation. So the question, a little application as we go this morning, is the Lord your champion and your advocate? So turn with me to John 14. I want, you to, I want you to know something this morning, that if you're saved, that's true. John 14, verse 16. Jesus speaking to his disciples. And I will, John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, an advocate, a paraclete, to be with you. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it has neither seen Him nor knows Him. You know Him, listen, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Oh, we have an advocate. And He's not only with us, He is in us. Flip back and if you still got John to John chapter 5. Look with me at verse 26, just so we're... Clear as New Testament Christians this morning. John chapter 5 verse 26 says this, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Verse 27, And He has given to Him authority to execute what? Judgment. Because He is the Son of Man. And so it is to Him that that David now in verses 11 to 21, he pleads his cause in this section. Little sidebar here. I know we like to think linearly and like to work from verse 1 to verse 28. It's just not the way the Psalms is written. So I know it might seem to be bouncing around. There's a purpose for that. And I uh, just wanted you to know that. So David's pleading his cause between verse 11 to 21. And he's in full lament. And he's in a posture of humble prayer. We're going to see this in the way he calls all to the Lord. Of not only my God, but my Lord. So I want you to see, look at verse 11. And then we're going to look at verse 21. I want you to see both ends of this. He's explaining the guilt of his enemies. Verse 11. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask of me things that I don't know. Now, the ESV gives a good translation there of malicious. Some translations say false. This is a word that has violence attached to it. They're violently, they're malicious in their intent. When people want to destroy you or destroy David, they will attack your character. And so they do. They're verbal. Verse 21, they open their... Wide their mouths against me. And they say, ah, oh, we've seen it. 
They're verbal, they're violent, they're malicious. Look at verses 19 to 20. They're also deceitful. It says, let not, let not those who rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. Look at this picture. And let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. Wink the eye. So these are partners in crime. These are, this is an accomplice who is, who is either about to attack or have already attacked. And they're, they're either congratulating herself or this is a signal. So there's more than one here that's doing this. Look at verse 12. It says, they repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. The word bereft means grieve. It means childless. It means my soul is as if I had lost my children. That kind of grief. One commentator says, Lord, they desire to spoil my soul. This picture of the enemy that overruns a town and spoils it. He said, that's what they decide to do to me. Turn with me. I want you to relate this to not only yourself, but also to our Jesus. Turn with me to John 15. One of the most amazing things is when you study the New Testament with the Old Testament in mind, and you begin to see that Jesus and his followers quote the Old Testament all the time. John 15, first look at verse 20. A little reality check for us this morning. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. He goes on to say in verse 20, listen to where he's quoting from, verse 25. But the word was written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Jesus says, talking about me. You see, just like David. David pointed forward to Christ and to his cross. So your actual life and mine points back to the cross. And back to Christ. These hardships are not easy. And we are to come to God. But neither are they pointless. So David's describing their guilt. And now this is the very center. This is the very heart of the Psalms. The climax is verse 13 and 14. David pleads his innocence. He says, but I. In this particular situation. Never think David's claiming some kind of sinless perfection. He's talking about an actual situation, a situation that we don't really know. David said, there was a time when this was reversed, verse 13. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloths. I I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with my head bowed to my chest. Think about one of many situations. Think about David in the life of Saul playing the harp to drive away the demons in his life. Remember that? And Saul picking the spear up and trying to pin him to the wall. This is the kind of things that went on in David's life all the time. And if we're honest, if we live long enough, it's going to go on in ours too. I treated them just like my own family. That's what he says. Verse 14, 
I went about as though I grieved for my friend and my brother, one who laments over his mother. This is the way I treated when they were going through. But he goes right into verse 15. He returns back to their guilt again with the but. He says, but I am innocent. But look at this, verse 15. But in my adversity, but at my stumbling, they what? Rejoiced. He said, when they were afflicted, I, was, I grieved myself over them. But when I'm afflicted, they rejoice. They not only rejoice, they gnash, you see that? They gnash their teeth at me. Verse 16. So verse 17, he gets to this point. Is, and this is what we are supposed to do before the Lord. He, he comes to this point of emotional breakdown when he says, Lord, how long? Are you just going to look on? They're guilty in this situation. I am innocent. Lord, how long is it going to be? Rescue me. I'm about to die here. That's what he says. Rescue me from their destruction. Goes back to the previous psalm. He's talking about lions. Rescue me from the lions. They want to tear at me with their teeth. They're gnashing at me. Turn with me to 1 Peter. I love Peter. Peter's concerned about a lot of things for the church, for holiness. But he's honest. It's what we liked about Peter, right? He used to stick his foot in his mouth all the time. And, but Peter is honest. 1 Peter 2. Back up to verse 20. But if when you do good and suffer, for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And we want to just pause there for a second. There's three parts right here that Peter says that you do good, that you suffer, and while both of those are going on, you endure it. What is he saying it is? It's a grace. It's a gracious thing. Verse 21. This is, this is just true. For to this you have been called. Called is, is the word for a king when he summons a people. Why have we been called to do good and to suffer and to endure? It says, because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit. Listen, was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Listen, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is the way we live our life. We live our lives as the way David did. And David comes before his God and he pleads his innocence. And he declares they're guilty. And now back in Psalms 35, David prays for the divine warrior to vindicate and to deliver him. And so look down with me. I bet these two verses grab sort of the heart of this section, the second section. Verse 23. Awake and rouse yourself from my vindication, from my cause, my God and my Lord. 
Here's our word, vindication. Arouse yourself. Wake yourself up, God, to action. Vindication. What is vindication? Vindication means judgment. Arouse yourself for my judgment. There's the courtroom scene again. Make a judgment, God. I presented my case. They're guilty. I'm innocent. You're my God. You're my Lord. Rouse yourself and make a decision, God, for my cause. He expresses not arrogance and not rage, but humble dependence. My Elohim and my Adonai, my Lord, my Master. Look at verse 24. The the Master's righteousness is at stake here. Vindicate me, O Lord my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. David says this many, many times and in many ways, that because God has covenanted with him and his people, that if their people are destroyed, if this covenant fails, then this is going to impede or impeach the very righteousness of God. And not only that, make no mistake, the word righteousness in the Old Testament is the same word we use, justice. And it is God's righteousness. It is His holy character that is the standard by which all men and women will be judged. He says, vindicate me, O Lord, for not only for the sake of your righteousness, but according to it. And so verse 4 to 10 we have something that reminded me, you remember Matthew 25, you don't have to go there, but Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he speaks woes to them, remember that? Calls them whitewashed tombs and all those, all those nice words that Jesus used to describe them. Very sober. That's what this sort of is right here. Verses 4 to 10 is a section of woes. He says, let them be, let them be, verse 4. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil to get me. Verse 5. Let them be like chaff before the wind. Verse 6. Let their waves be dark and slippery. And now he returns and develops the image of a battlefield. And what is going on here? A summary of two things this enemy decides is wanting to do in David's life is he is scheming to kill him and he is trying to entrap him. And those two things are critical to understand why he is praying the way he's praying. Because what David is praying basically is that the enemies are simply caught in their own trap. They want to kill me. Let it come back on them. They're trying to entrap me. Let them be caught in it. This would be a term of poetic justice. It's what he's calling on. Listen to Spurgeon. There is nothing malicious here. The slandered man simply craves for justice. The petition is natural and justifiable. Look at verse 5. Let them be like chaff before the wind. Every time I read this word... Chaff, this means something that's worthless. I think of the parable of the wheat and the tares in the Bible. This picture of what God's going to do one time. Because there are people who look like a Christian who aren't Christians. 
This picture of wheat, it falls to the ground. But that which is worthless, that which is empty, is blown away, is gathered and burned. He says, Lord, let them be like chaff. These are ungodly men of worthless character. You see, justice is to be treated in line with your character and behavior. This is why no one prays for justice. This is why we pray for mercy. We don't want justice in our own life. We want mercy. Because justice is to be treated in line with your character and behavior. And guess who the standard is? God is. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, I have a dream that my four little children one day will live in a nation where they will be judged where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This is what he's praying, Lord, may they be judged by the content of their character. This has been proven by how they want to kill me. He is simply, and look at him in verse 7, he's praying for the sowing and reaping principle to be enacted. And listen, it does, it works. Sowing and reaping works on the saved and the unsaved. God has determined it to be so. We see in verse 7, For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. He uses the same language in Psalms 9.15, speaking nationally. He says, The nations have sunk in the pit they have made, and the net they have hid their own foot has been caught. Think about this in, between Saul and David's life, between their relationship. Did Saul ever deal fairly with David? Though he slay the giant and many other ones, if when you read the story, the battles that he won for David, though he played the harp when Saul was torn up by an evil spirit, yet he was jealous of him. He tried to kill him and he put him on the run for years. David is simply praying for the plans of their own heart to come back on themselves. David's not the vindicator here. Look at verse 5 and 6 again. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Verse 6. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. This is a stark, terrible language. You see, David knows this because of his own, their own history as a people. Whenever the angel of the Lord shows up, someone's going to be saved and someone's doomed. Isn't it the way it was at the Passover? Do you remember? Where the angel came and the blood was put on the doorpost. He passed over the people of Israel. Did not kill their firstborn. But what came to the firstborn of Egypt? Justice. If we have a problem with that, we have a problem with God. Sodom. Do you remember? The angel of the Lord came. What happened? Lot and his family was saved, but Sodom was doomed. This is what happens. This is the two sides of justice. 2 Peter 2, 9 and 10. This is not Old Testament. This is God. 2 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. 
So David prays for his own vindication and for his deliverance. That the plans of the evil ones that are against him would turn back on them and would fail. He pleads his case. He asks God to arouse himself. And, and then he praises the Lord. This is a good message, brothers and sisters. In the midst of our situation. That in every one of these sections... David praises his divine warrior for vindication and deliverance. By faith. Verses 9 and 10. He says, Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in His salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor? From him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy, from him who robs him. David's saying, Lord... I will not waste your salvation. I will praise your name with it. He's planning, Micah. He's planning the worship service. Right? He's planning it. God's, God's going to show up in this situation. He's going to deliver me. We're going to worship Him. I won't go waste it, Lord. I know who you are. And you're going to deliver the poor. Guess what we're saying when He says that? I'm poor. I'm needy. I'm reading this, I'm thinking Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those for hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. James puts it this way. It's those who are poor in this world, that God has chosen to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom. Something to praise God about. You see, that's the big picture again. David's teaching us. These enemies can't stop what God has promised. And so in the next section, look at verse 18. Right in the middle of the woes. <laughs> he says, I will thank you in the great congregation. And it, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. As he's calling for justice, he has a hope-filled faith in God's unchanging character. That's what he's hoping in. He's not mauling over revenge. And some of us have used some of these texts to justify our sin. He's not mulling over revenge. He's thinking about his God. His faithful covenant that He has made and calling on Him to help. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, mercy in your life should always bring praise. When we realize that those little ones sitting beside of you are grace, that spouse sitting beside of you is grace, then parents that are still here or the parents that are waiting for you there is grace. We have received nothing but mercy, mercy, mercy in our lives. And we should praise God for it. Somebody should have said amen. 
Verse 27, last section. Let, let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say forevermore. Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Verse 28, then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and your praise all the day long. Don't miss here the very context of the prayer is David sees himself as a servant who's calling upon his master. It's a good master. The character that cares for him. Here's what else he's saying here in this second section. He's saying, I'm not going to waste my salvation. Not only because I'm going to praise you, but I'm going to call other people to praise you. You know what he's saying? Look at verse 28. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness, of your praise all the day long. Let those who delight in my righteousness. Lord, people are going to witness this. And we're going to praise you because of it. David's all about kingdom praying. And so should we be. He's praying for his kingdom and his righteousness to be enlarged. Praise him for it. Do you remember what happened when Andrew Brunson, our our brother in Turkey for two years, was released. What did the church do? When the persecuted, when God's mercy showed up, when He delivered him, we rejoiced all over the world. God's church rejoices when we see God working. So how are you supposed to respond? How am I responding in times of injustice? Specifically for following Christ. Turn with me to Romans 12. Back to Romans 12, sort of where we began, where we're in. Romans 12. How should we respond in times of injustice for following Christ? And listen, I, I can't know, and we know some, we, we're partnering ministry with other churches, meet with other pastors. I am firmly aware that people, especially those who have jobs that's connected to the, the government and even the hospital and stuff, are already facing decisions where they are going to have to suffer. They're going to experience loss for standing by their Christian convictions. So how am I supposed to respond? To the contrary, Romans 12 verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. So how do you respond if someone calls to your job for following Jesus? You respond in grace and trust your king. Peter had something to say about this too. 1 Peter 3 verse 13. 1 Peter 3 verse 13 says this. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And always be prepared to make a defense to ask anyone for a reason for the hope that's within you, yet to do it with gentleness and respect. 
having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. In other words, how do we respond in times of injustice? We respond in grace, and we use it as a witness. Listen, if I don't respond rightly in times of injustice, I, ru- I ruin my opportunity to be a witness. Good illustration in The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. He, he describes a man named Dmitri. I believe he got his name right. He was in Russia and he was a prison for being a Christian. He's described in, in prison of having a couple things that he, that he would do every morning. And so one of those things, every morning he would rise, stand to his feet, and he would sing a song to the Lord. The prison he was in there with was 1,500 hardened criminals that didn't exactly like the fact that he would do this and would cuss him and spit at him and even sling human waste at him, just trying to shut him up. The guards would come in almost daily every morning for 17 years and torture him. And no matter what the cost, every day for 17 years, he stood up and would sing to the Lord. One day the guards finally came to get him, to take him to his execution. And as they marched him down the corridor, 1,500 men stood beside their beds and sung to the Lord. And shocked and almost terrified, the guards asked him, who in the world are you anyway? He said, I am the son of the living God. And Jesus is His name. We do not know the purposes for why things come into our life. But God in His Word gives us how we must respond. We must respond in grace. We must use it as an, an opportunity to be a witness. And we must leave the results to the only one who can save. So what should I do when I see injustice in others? And I don't know what comes to your mind with that. But I hope you're aware of the world. I'm not sure of its accuracy. I was looking through two places last night and saw a report. And somebody correct me after if I'm wrong. Expecting it to escalate. Somehow, somewhere around 250 Christians killed every day. I had in my mind, as, as I thought about this question, the Egyptian Christians lined up on the beach and beheaded. How are we supposed to respond? I went to the Voice of the Martyrs website. I would challenge you to go there. and was just looking at their prayer list. Turn with me to Acts 4. How are we supposed to respond amidst such things? Acts 4, Peter and John had been taken into custody for preaching their faith. Listen, right now that's happening. Right now someone's being taken into custody for preaching the faith. Acts 4, they're released, verse 23. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them, 
who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. Verse 27, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretched out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place that they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God boldness. What do we pray when we look at the voice of the martyrs? When we pray down the list and we see our brothers and sisters suffering over the name, we pray for boldness. We pray for mercy. But we pray for the gospel to go forward. And we ask the question, why not send me? Why not send my children? Church, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. This is what the Bible tells us to do. We are supposed to respond with perseverance, boldness, and Micah 6 8 says it so clearly how we are supposed to respond in this broken world. He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? May this be the very character of our life as we live our lives for Jesus. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. Every, every word is in your, your word is true tells us something about you God sometime a mirror into our own soul and yet Lord we're so grateful that your word is so honest that David has passed down and many of the other some of the other psalmists passed down these honest words that says they're in the midst of trusting you and your big and your promise that you're going to come true this life is really hard we don't always feel like, Lord, we didn't deserve what's happening or what happened. And so, Lord, may we trust in you to be our warrior. We thank you that you have given us an advocate. That Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. And he has given us the very Holy Spirit to be in us until the day. Justice will flow like water. Oh, we long for that day, God. Where righteousness will reign. And your kingdom will come. But until then, may we reflect your righteousness and holiness as we live out the mission of God in our life wherever you call us to be. Wherever you call us to live. Wherever our children go. May you enlarge your kingdom. And God, 
Use us. Use us, Lord. And now, Lord, we have come to do what David says that he is going to do, and that is we want to praise the Lord. Receive our worship, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.